I invite you to look with me this morning in the book of Ezekiel. We're in chapter 37 this week, so if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn there. I'm going to read the first 14 verses of this chapter to you. And before I do that, I just wanted to ask you this question. Have you ever thought about why you enjoy hearing about or seeing or reading uh, stories of redemption? Have you ever thought about why you like those stories where someone's redeemed or something is redeemed? Have you ever thought about why um, all the dystopias that are out there today, at the end of the day, they may, be, they may have a little fun adventure aspect to it, but at the end, uh, living in a world that's just dystopian is like full of fear and you're not sure what's next. It's just not safe. And so therefore, even, even enjoying something of imaginative dystopian experience leaves you with, ugh. I don't know that I really want to live in a world that's that unsafe. I already feel like I live in an unsafe world. (sighs) Have you ever thought about, do you have this, not just flippant response, but like this deep down longing for justice? And I'm not talking about just the personal self-serving kind. I, I mean like lasting and true justice. You ever have this sense of this longing for that kind of justice? What I want you to know is the reason why you have those longings and desires is because there is one true story, and that's what the Bible is. The Bible is a story. It is the story of reality. It tells us how we were created. It tells us what went wrong with the world. It tells us about redemption. And it tells us about cosmic restoration and an everlasting justice. That's what we're going to learn about today as we continue the story. Listen to this from Ezekiel 37. This may make some of you want to get up and shout. This is one of my favorite passages. I don't know a lot about the book of Ezekiel. But this is one of those passages that will just make you get all excited. Listen to this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. You get the image? You there? And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Anybody want to shout? This is good stuff. It's all downhill from here. Let's pray. Let's ask God to... Stir up some dry bones, starting with this guy right here. Lord, you have unimaginable power, and we are so weak. We oftentimes think that we're really strong, spend a lot of time puffing ourselves up and making ourselves look like something we're not. We're great pretenders. We're good at faking, we're good at putting on a facade, we're good at lying, we're good at deceiving. And we come before you as the being that has all, all power. So we ask that you might convince us again that we're dry bones and that life can only be found in you and through you and because of you. Holy Spirit, breath of heaven, we've already sung. We've already sung to you this morning. Breathe on us now. Light of life, come revive our weary souls. Bring us to the one that has victory over death. For we pray in his name, amen. This morning, I want to introduce you to a new or perhaps old friend. His name is Ezekiel. Maybe you've never heard of him before. Maybe you know him much better than I do. Let me tell you a little bit about him and remind you of who he is. When Ezekiel started writing this book, he was about 30 years old. Matter of fact, if you remember the last few weeks, we thought about the idea that God's people were going to be taken into captivity. Well, Ezekiel was one of those who was deported to the land of Babylon. He was one of the ones that was taken in the Babylonian captivity back to Babylon. And it was there that Ezekiel started writing this book when he was 30. Matter of fact, there's some people that think that it was actually his birthday when he started writing this book. But I need you to know that Ezekiel was not only someone who was deported to Babylon to live in captivity, he was a man that knew tremendous loss. In the Babylonian captivity was where he lost his wife. 
She was killed going into captivity. He knew tremendous loss. Imagine being 30 and not being married that long, having lost your spouse. Not only does he know tremendous loss, he knows what it's like to have a dramatic change in your life, unexpected change, a career change. Ezekiel grew up in a priest's house. He was training for the priesthood, and when he turned 30, that would meant that he was actually eligible to become a priest. And now we hear, here he is being deported to Babylon, and he has had a dramatic change of career. He no longer is going to be a priest. Now he's changed and is going to be a prophet. And not only does a prophet mean that he was going to verbalize the word of the Lord, which we have before us in these chapters in the book of Ezekiel. But for Ezekiel, it also meant, and I don't know a better way to say this, it meant that Ezekiel was going to do some street theater. And if you've never read the book before and you want to read some crazy stuff, I mean that literally. Read about Ezekiel. Because he lived out and acted out the word of God in some really, really bizarre ways. His whole life was caught up in this calling that God has placed on his life. This morning we're going to look at this story in Ezekiel 37 and then we're going to answer the question, so what? So that's where we're going. But here's the point of Ezekiel 37. I got it down to four words. God flips the script. You want to know what you need to take into your life this week? Into your jobs, into your relationships, to your neighbors? But first, you need to take it in yourself deeply and repetitively. God flips the script. That's the point of Ezekiel 37 this morning. Here's the story, and then so what? You got me? That's where we're going. Is that clear? Let's get into the story. What we, when you start reading Ezekiel 37, this is what Ezekiel saw. To get into the story, we got to see what Ezekiel sees. Put on your pretend VR if you need to. The Spirit has brought Ezekiel into this valley, and it's a valley of bones. And Ezekiel doesn't get a glimpse of the valley. He doesn't get a truncated view of the valley. He's put, the text says, in the middle of the valley. And he starts walking around. And he sees bones. The text tells us that they are dry bones. Which means that the people have been dead for a long time. It means that they were not covered up. It means that they were not buried. It means that they were slaughtered and left to decay. And the birds and the animals had done everything they could to lick clean these carcasses. There was nothing left on the bones. And it wasn't that he saw a skeleton. It wasn't that he saw bodies still together in bones like we often see in classrooms where there's skeletons where you get to learn all the bones. It was just a valley of bones, mixed up, some there, some here, some arms, some legs, some skulls, some chests, just bones, dry bones. 
The text even tells us in verse 11 that they were cursed. In other words, not only were they just left after these people were killed, but they weren't given the dignity of a proper burial. They were cursed. They were left to rot so that everyone could see that would observe that these are a cursed people that deserve no respect, no dignity. They are just left there to decay and be eaten as scraps. So that would be a, a constant reminder. These people are worthless. That's what Ezekiel sees. Can you see it? Well, if you're going to understand the story, you can't just look and see what Ezekiel sees. You've got to hear what God says. God comes to Ezekiel in verse 3 with a question, and he says, Ezekiel, uh, can these bones live? This is a really probing question. Most of the time when you get asked questions, my hunch is if you're like me, you feel like, oh, this is an opportunity to tell someone what I know. Or you get asked a question, and the other option is, among others, Hmm, someone has posed a problem and I need to solve it. I want you to understand when God puts this question to Ezekiel, God is stripping away every single thing about Ezekiel and about us. God's asking us the exact same question that he asks Ezekiel. He's stripping everything away from us. And he's saying at rock bottom, fundamentally speaking, Ezekiel, do you believe in the supernatural? Do you believe that there's something beyond experts? Ezekiel, do you think there's something beyond science? Friends, is there something beyond you? At your core, do you believe in the supernatural? And actually, to get more pointed and more accurately, do you believe in the power of the supernatural? Meaning, God is asking Ezekiel, Ezekiel, are you just flat out a naturalist? Or do you think that the supernatural exists and that the supernatural has power? And look at what Ezekiel responds. Now, I wasn't there. I don't know the look on his face. I'm still wrestling with how to interpret this. But I understand the question. And Ezekiel's response, in my mind, he had to have done something like this. Oh, Lord, you know. In other words, I think that Ezekiel's response was somewhere between bowing out of the conversation and starting to bow down. Lord, you know. Leave it at that. Then this is what happened. If you're going to get the story, you got to see what Ezekiel sees, you got to hear what Jesus, what, excuse me, what God asks, and you got to see what happened. What started to happen is verse 4 through 10. What started happening is 
God told Ezekiel to prophesy, which means talk to dead bones. Now, I really don't get frustrated about speaking with y'all at all, okay? I really don't. I don't dread coming here every week, and I promise you, I've never thought of you as dry, dead bones. <laughs> there may be weeks that, that we are flatter than others, okay? But God, I've never felt that God has literally told me, Dave, start talking to dead bones. So if you've ever thought that speaking up in front of people is difficult, how about if you were in the position of talking to dry bones? God says, Ezekiel, talk to these dry bones. This is how I know Ezekiel didn't absolutely back out and he was starting to bow down because he starts talking to them and repeating what God says. He starts declaring God's word. And when he starts to do that, guess what happens? There's a rattle that starts. An earthquake begins. And what happens is that bones begin like magnets to come together. And those bones begin to stick together and begin to add other bones. And then once the bones have come together, the text says that sinews start to be added on. And that means things like ligaments and muscles. So that these bones are now gathering together and forming into a body that is developing muscle and tone and ligaments and tendons and then over the top becomes skin so that all these bones begin to, to come together and there are bodies. But as verse eight says, there is no life in them. Did you notice that? There Formations of human beings that are not yet alive. And God tells Ezekiel, prophesy, Ezekiel, prophesy, declare my word to them. Don't make something up on your own, Ezekiel. Just repeat what I say. And Ezekiel prophesies, and guess what happens? He summons the Spirit, and the Spirit comes. And what does the Spirit do? Life. The Spirit brings these figures to life so that they are now living, so that they are now, as the text says, a great army, an army that had been slaughtered, an army that had been cursed, an army that was left for dead, an army that had been disrespected, an army in which you people were saying should, should deserve no type of dignified death at all. God says, I'm bringing life to them. That's the story. So what? What does this mean for my life? What am I supposed to do with this? Well, I need you to understand that's the wrong question to ask. I know that we love to read passages of Scripture, and then we love to hear, okay, tell me what I need to do. But I need you to understand that's not most of the time the right question at all. When you read this passage and you think about Ezekiel 37, you should not be thinking about what do I do with this. You should be thinking about what does this text do to me? Do you get the difference? What is this text doing to me? Well, I want to tell you that it's producing three things. 
The first thing that this text is producing in us, the first thing that Ezekiel 37 is producing in us is this, a real and true sense of who we are. In other words, if you understand this passage, this passage is acting on you and is communicating to you and communicating to me who we really are. It is raising our self-awareness, and it is raising our self-awareness in a true way and in an accurate way. And here's who we are. Apart from God, we are dead. We have no life. These are God's people who are in captivity and on their way to captivity. These are God's people and they are dead. There is nothing in them. There is no life. They're dry. They are left under the curse. The text says that they've been cut off. That is code for curse. This is who we are apart from God. Dry, dead bones. Without God, I'll say it again, we are absolutely fundamentally dead in every part of our being. Gone, no life, nothing spiritual going on, dead. But this also produces in us raw and indescribable emotion. Beloved, when you read this text, you ought to be thinking to yourself, what? When you read this text, it is hard to put into words what it is communicating about God. It is, it is, hard, it is gonna be hard for me to express this to you because I don't have the words I wish I did because I don't know what they are. <laughs> This produces in us indescribable emotion because it is here that we get all the feels. God flips the script. God should leave his people in their sin. He should leave us in this valley where we get exactly what we deserve. He is being absolutely fair in leaving us as dead, dry bones. But he doesn't. And let me tell you, it's not fair. What God does is not fair, and you don't want fair. What God does is merciful. What God does is supernatural. What God does is resurrect. What he does in the gospel is bring us to life. What he does in the gospel is love us first. What he does in the gospel is he sees that we are dead and he makes us alive. What he does is give us new hearts. It's what he just said he was going to do in Ezekiel 36. 
and this is what it looks like? He sees us as dead and he brings us to life. He flips the script. He should leave us in the valley where our dry bones just continue to decay until we go back to dust. That's what should happen. That would be normal. That would be just. That would be fair. But that's not what he does. Friends, the message of the gospel is a message of grace. And if you believe in Jesus and if you have put your faith in Christ and if you have received the work of Jesus for you, you have experienced this life-giving grace. You haven't earned it. You haven't merited it. You haven't added a single thing to what God has done. He has done it. He has brought you to life. He has loved you. He saw you dead and decaying and said, these are my people and I'm gonna bring them to life. And our response to all of that is a response that God's grace has enabled in our lives so that our faith is truly a gift, so that Jesus truly authored it, so that he, our faith originates with him, our faith is grown because of him, our faith will be perfected because of Jesus. God is communicating to us that he does everything to bring us to life. He has flipped the script. And that means that it also produces in us hope. We always have the hope of resurrection and restoration. If you can think about this metaphorically, I bet there are some times when you just feel like because of the situation that you were in, that you were in the valley, and you're in the valley where everything is dry and dead. And that's exactly where Ezekiel was. And it's telling us that it doesn't matter how bad things are or how bad things can get in your life, you always have hope because you believe in the power of the supernatural. That if God can raise Dave who is spiritually dead and give him spiritual life, then he can work into me an eternal weight of glory through affliction and suffering and hardship. If God can raise me from the dead, then God can bring joy and positivity and growth and meaning through the hardest things that I can experience. He can do the same for you. If you know this God, the God of the Bible, then it doesn't matter how bad things get, we always have hope. And maybe we should say, especially in times in which we feel that we are nothing and weak, it is there that God's grace is operating. The grace of God works in our weakness. That's what the scripture says. Sometimes it's good that we know weakness so that God's grace can be magnified in our lives. 
If we don't have times of weakness and times of suffering and times of, of affliction and hardship and trials, if we never actually experience the brokenness of the world and we aren't actually attuned to our own brokenness and our own sin and our own rebellion, we'll never know the grace of God. But to know those things and experience those things means that God's grace is working and that he has redemptive value in them. And that means this, that God flips the script in your life and in my life. That means not only is restoration possible and reconciliation and, and resurrection and everything else, it means that God continues to flip the script in our own lives. That means when you look at your life and you realize, hmm, I am becoming a more forgiving person. God's flipped the script in your life. Because what will be normal is for you to grow in bitterness. What will be normal is for you to continue to be more hateful toward other people. That's natural. It feels good to do that at some level, doesn't it? You like, I mean, it feels, you feel justified to dislike someone who's done something to you. But if God, if you look at your life and you realize you're becoming more of a forgiving person, God's flipped the script. He's worked grace into your life and he's changed you. If you realize that you're becoming more of a generous person and you're giving of your time, of yourself, of your resources, guess what? God's flipped the script because it makes perfect sense to schedule your time and to allocate your resources and to give of yourself for yourself. The grace of God working in your life flips the script and says, oh no, you don't, I don't live for myself, I live for others, I live for God. What I have is a gift to me, I can give it away. God's flipped the script. Do you see it? God flips the script in your life. When you start loving people just because they're human beings, God's flipped the script. Because we live in a world that's like, get everything you can from people, use them when you have to, and if you're going to get to the top, you're going to have to stomp on a lot of people to get there and climb over a lot of people to get there. God flips the script. When we say, no, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to love people for people. When you realize that there is a depth of honesty growing in your life, especially here in the South, God's flipped the script because you're learning, oh, I don't have to put up a facade. I'm learning, oh, because of what Jesus has done in my life, I can be more honest about who I am and what's really going on and how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. God's flipped the script because it's so easy to live by all the cultural mess that we're in, isn't it? It's easy to put on the show. It's easy to uh, fake it till you make it. God flips the script to where we want to be more honest about who we are and what we're going through. And we're learning to be more honest with other people in our relationships. God's flipped the script. When you realize that you're growing in your speed of willingness to forgive, God's flipped the script. Because it's easy not to forgive. It's easy for that lack of forgiveness to fuel moving forward. It's hard to let go of grudges. But when you want to let those go, 
And you're more quick to forgive? God's flipped the script. Do you see? When you start prioritizing, excuse me, when you start having the right priorities in your life and when you start thinking about others and thinking about what is most important and living that way, God's flipped the script. Because again, it's easy for us to just live for ourselves and compartmentalize our lives and just start checking boxes that make us feel like we're good people. But God flips the script so that we realize who we really are and brings us to Jesus so that we'll change and be more like him. You see, the question is, what is this chapter doing in us? It's producing greater self-awareness. It's giving us a sense, an indescribable emotion. And it's given us hope. Well, the last thing is this. This passage is compelling us to look backward and to look forward. Hang in there with me. We're almost done. Landing gear is out. We're about to touch down. This passage is compelling us to look backwards. When you go back and read it, tried to emphasize this to you when we went through the story. Did you notice that God put together a human being and then breathed life into that being? Did you notice that? It's exactly what happens. Guess where? Creation. What is God teaching us through Ezekiel 37? It's not just that he's the God of all grace. It's not just that he's the God of life, even though that's true. He's saying the way that I've created mankind is the way that I want them to be. And I'm doing a recreative act right here in Ezekiel 37 so that you can understand that this is the way you were made. I formed you. I gave you life. And you experience that now in salvation. But God is restoring us and restoring his people to how we were originally created that we would give all that we are for him and live out his mission in the world. He's taking us right back to the four-part story. He's taking us right back to the beginning of everything. And he's also pushing us forward. This text demands that we go forward in history, not just back. Did you notice in verse 12 and 13, God says it two times, I will bring you out of the grave? Well, in the first part of the chapter, how the bones were described is they were on top of the earth. God is bringing you into his ultimate plan. Beloved, the way that you enter into a relationship with God is that he initiates it. His grace pursues you. His grace brings you to life. You love him because he first loved you. But what God says in verse 12 and 13 is that, oh, there's going to come a day when I'm going to bring you out of the grave. Do you know what that's pointing us toward? You got to guess? All that Christ has done in the restoration of all things. 
The four-part story is right here in Ezekiel 37. God wants us to look forward to the time when we will be brought out of the grave, Christ will return, and all will be made new. And do you know how he punctuates that in this verse? Ten times in 14 verses, the word spirit is mentioned. Sometimes it's very clear that it actually means wind, literal wind. But it also, there are also times in which it literally means the Holy Spirit of God. Just for a quick sidebar, because I need to do this myself. Anybody know how to, let me tell you how to clear your throat. Say this word with me. Ruach. That's the word over 10 times. Just cleared your throat. Now hang with me. God is some, look at the text. It says that this spirit comes and gives life. The same thing the spirit has been doing. The same thing he's always done. He hovered over the waters. He brings us to Christ. He continues to form Christ within us. And notice that the text says that the spirit comes from the four winds. Do you guess where that's coming from? The north, the south, the east, the west. God is saying that the Holy Spirit is at work in the entire world to bring people to life from all four corners of the earth, all north, south, east, west. Translate that into every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's what the Holy Spirit has been doing. So this text is saying, don't just look back at creation to be reminded of what I've done, but look forward to the new creation and what Christ has accomplished Because he's the one that has defeated death. He's the one that has taken on the curse and broken it. He's the one that brings us the blessing of God. And he is the one that because of his resurrection, we too will be resurrected. Beloved, this passage is all about redemption and creation and recreation and the renewal of all things. And guess what? That's what brings us to the table. 